the boundless benefits of turmeric and dipping your toe into the world of Ayurveda. That is today's show. Welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host and founder of the Lotox Movement. And today my guest is Dr. Shivani Gupta, and I'm really excited to have her on. I came across her energy because I wanted to explore turmeric for myself, actually. And then I found she had done a PhD on turmeric and uh, it <laughs> she, she knows a lot about it, of course. But today we talk about some of those questions that come up. Do you need to have it with certain things? Does it have to be uh, with black pepper to be absorbed? What is raw versus cooked versus extracts in a capsule? Uh, and we go over all of that as well as who has just a little talk to your doctor first flag around it when taking turmeric supplements, but the breadth of uh, what types of uh, reasons we can use turmeric for. And I guess, you know, like all great cooking spices in Indian cooking, I, I, I share some interesting observations myself of feeling better eating from such a wide variety of spices uh, when I was really unwell. And of course, there's a lot of evidence to demonstrate why that is. Shivani's an Ayurvedic practitioner. Uh, she's an expert in fusing the Eastern and the Western medicine practices together. And as I said, she has a PhD in turmeric. She's got an excellent website full of resources I've got in the show notes for you, which you can always access at lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast, and you'll see today's show. Uh, we have a seven-day detox challenge if you wanted to try detoxification through the Ayurvedic lens. Uh, she has a wonderful uh, range of supplements, especially if you're in North America, and I can give you a wonderful offer for that if that's something you're interested in. So all of those details are in the show notes. I'm going to hook into that conversation in a little minute. We're going to cover doshas, circadian rhythm, uh, preventative health, the role of tea and adaptogens. It's a really great, let's take a look at the lot and what we might be more interested in kind of show today. And I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for every review, every share, every everything. It genuinely means so much to me when I get uh, tagged in a story and I see that someone really loved a particular aspect of the show or the whole show. Uh, last week's show with Dr. Kerry Krieger on Chinese medicine and perimenopause was an absolute cracker. And we've got some really brilliant ones around the corner. I'm so excited about this year's program. So we can't do this podcast without our wonderful sponsors. I want to remind you, Oz Climate is our major sponsor for 2024, once again, giving us 10% off. They're often already discounted uh, Winix air purifiers, dehumidifiers, and just a pro tip there, if you're an Aussie and you can benefit from this uh, offer, sign up to their newsletter because 
I've noticed, I'm, I find it easier to share with you guys when different things are on sale in their range, we get the 10% off on top. Uh, so it's always a good thing to know and they seem to love mixing up what they put on a special offer. Uh, so that's a little pro tip. If your budget is tight, but you really want to incorporate a dehumidifier, or you really want to see if an air purifier can move the needle on allergy symptoms, or you live uh, near agricultural sprays, bushfire risk, etc. Oz uh, Climate, your code is Lotox Life, and that gives you an extra 10% off any discounts they might already have in play. Our sponsor for March is helping you upgrade your water. I'm thrilled to have Waters Co. back on the show as a sponsor. You're getting a whopping 12% off all of their new systems. Uh, I have had Waters Co. filters of some description for just over a decade and we have the little mini Waterman, uh, which is their portable one, and a brilliant entry-level option if that's where your budget is at right now. Uh, don't get a like a cheaper type of filter just so you can so it's bigger. I would definitely recommend this mini Waterman. We've travelled with it for a month at a time, no problems. Filters through quite quickly, and it's brilliant. Then you have the jugs, then you have the bench tops, and you have under sink option as well, and their brilliant shower filter. So all of this month you have 12% off. Your code is LOTOXLIFE, uh, and that's actually going to go through till the middle of April. So have a look at the range. I've got details in the show notes. Uh, we have the 10-liter bench top, a jug for camping. Well, I'm not doing the camping full admission there. The boys do. And uh, the mini waterman for travel. I have taken that on every speaking gig, every travel work situation for years, and I genuinely would not leave home without it. It's brilliant. Um, anyone who's tasted London tap water will agree. Uh, I'm born in London, so I feel like I can speak with a little bit of authority and compassion for my fellow Londoners. <laughs> uh, the water is awful and uh, it's just made such a difference uh, when I go visiting family or all that jazz. So 10% off, uh, 12% off, code Lotox Life, trying to keep everything simple for you guys with our sponsors. And let's hook into this brilliant chat with Dr. Shivani Gupta. Enjoy. Shivani, how are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank you. And I'm going to jump right in and ask you, your name would suggest that you grew up with Ayurveda as a part of your life, but it's not always the case when families migrate and sometimes kids like grow up and they're like, why didn't you tell me about this stuff, mom or dad? Um, what has Ayurveda meant to you in your life? And when did it become something that you thought I need to make this my work? You know, I grew up in a family in Houston, Texas. My parents were first generation. And so when I was born, I knew that there were these two worlds existing because every time my grandparents came to visit in the U.S., my grandma was reaching into an, into an entirely different toolkit to heal us. So let's say my stomach was upset. She'd go in the kitchen and mix two spices and give it to me as an elixir, as a tea, versus when the grandparents weren't around or when I wasn't visiting India and living with them. Here in the U.S., it was Pepto-Bismol and Imodium and like really pharma-based solutions. Mm. And so fast forward into college, when I by the time I got to college, I felt like I had no immune system. I was sick chronically. I was taking antibiotics chronically and nothing was working. And that's when I turned to my family and said, guys, 
we're in the land of yoga and Ayurveda. Like that's what's here. This is the birthplace of it. Can we please go explore this? Because I really need a different sol solution or a different system. And that's when Ayurveda came in and saved the day. Like I went on this quest and learned that Ayurvedic medicine is this ancient toolkit of wisdom that's readily available for all of us. Most of it's free. Like it's just a lifestyle. And if we just adopt it, we can bring balance and vitality and vibrant health into our lives every single day. Yeah. And it is that balance piece that I've always found really interesting and the doshas and we'll unpack some of those finer points as we go. But I, you did a PhD in turmeric. I did. I did. I did my master's in Ayurvedic sciences and in yeah. herbology class, I fell in love with turmeric and the super spices. And then my advisor was like, you should do a PhD. And I said, you know, turmeric feels like that spice that can really create such profound change in our lives. And so I embarked on this PhD of multi-year study of turmeric at the time. And I really fell in love with it because turmeric is so multidimensional. It's so well-received by the body. And I think there's still so much science to be published on it. So I'm excited to be a part of that science, like curcumin for knee osteoarthritis, curcumin curcumin that extends our telomeres. Like there's still, there's a lot of science being published. It's exponentially grown and there's still more work to be done. Incredible. And so you mentioned telomeres there and knee osteoarthritis. Are those two of your absolute favorite uh, connections in the science? Are there, are there others where you, you were researching it and you're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, turmeric is anti-inflammatory. It's a powerful antioxidant and it reverses oxidation in the body. It's, anti, it's antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal, and it's anti-aging. So it's interesting when you look at the science, nowadays I get to present it at a lot of medical conferences in front of doctors. And each time it's like I do a mini research to pull everything together again for each type of doctor group. So I did like plastic surgery. So then I spoke on fibrosis and skin healing and the pre-op benefits of preparing the patient to be less inflamed. And then the post-op benefit of them reducing their NSAID and opioid use and getting better healing results post-op. And then a big focus of mine is orthopedics. Like I'm very passionate about orthopedics giving us less NSAIDs and opioids. Because for me, every time I've had plantar fasciitis or any joint pain, I take NSAIDs and I get really bad stomach aches. And I don't like those side effects. I truly believe that curcumin can be that natural pain reliever that we all lean to when we're inflamed. Um, but really, turmeric has very far-reaching effects. It's good for heart disease. It's good for diabetes. We know it can play a role with um, apoptosis, which is killing off the cells that aren't needed. So it can support anti-cancer efforts. Like there's a lot of different ways that curcumin can impact the body from turmeric because of its anti-inflammatory properties. And then I love that it's an immune modulator. So so many of us who don't want to catch the common cold or who need to protect our immune system can take it for that as well. So it, it's far reaching. And then to mention the anti-aging piece, I just spoke at a longevity conference and researched curcumin for sirtuins, apoptosis, autophagy, telomeres, um, there's zombie cells. Like it really does have so many different ways it plugs into the body and supports Yeah, us. wow. You mentioned autophagy there and it made me think of the fasting craze at the moment, but then 
also a group of people, largely women, largely luteal phased women who are like, yeah, this fasting thing's really not helping. In fact, I feel more stressed, more inflamed. Is it, you know, and, and then we're starting to drill down into the uniqueness of the situation uh, to promote autophagy. So are you saying that there's research to suggest taking turmeric or incorporating it in our cooking every day can actually support autophagy? Yes. So when it comes to turmeric, out of the entire turmeric plant, only 3% is the curcuminoids. And out of those three curcuminoids, curcumin is the most effective at reducing inflammation in the body. And so the proportion of those curcuminoids that you take and how people process it impacts the way that the body receives it. And so when it comes to the, to our health, what I find interesting is curcumin is going to go where it's needed most. So I find that those organs who need it most, like let's say it's it's major back pain or major knee pain, body is going to receive it and handle the big problems first. But then there's oftentimes other inflammatory issues going on. Then it'll go after the smaller ones. And then once it gets your body into that healing state, then your body can go and say, okay, I'm healthy and healed. Let's go clean up house. Let's go reset. Let's go reduce toxic burden. Let's heal the gut. Like, let's do some repair. Um, and so that's how I <laughs> We've got it. time for some special projects. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, like, you're not going to get to the special projects, right? Until you deal with the big fires and the little fires. Then you can focus on the, the special stuff. And that's where I find curcumin goes in there and helps is, yes, it supports autophagy, but it has this intelligence and this adaptogenic intelligence to it where it goes where it's needed most, then second most, then it gets to do these more subtle jobs that we need. Mm, brilliant. And so in terms of taking turmeric, like can anyone, is there anything to suggest there's a red flag for certain groups of people on the turmeric front? For sure. So there are contraindications. So there's three ways to take turmeric. One is raw. You can buy it raw. It looks like ginger. A lot of people are juicing it and utilizing it. Um, I think that's beautiful. I think whole plant form is always a good thing. Um, but if you are going to juice it and take it in raw form, take it with black pepper or take it with a healthy fat. That's what's going to increase its absorption. In ancient India and in India currently, we don't really use raw turmeric. We take turmeric and we dry it into a spice, which makes it a lot more concentrated. So in the spice form, a lot of people nowadays are sprinkling it on their chicken, sprinkling it on their food. A little sprinkling is not enough to create a significant therapeutic dose to create a significant change in the body. But regular turmeric is still beneficial. I'm Indian. We still cook with our turmeric every day. <laughs> and it's going to yeah. go... Can I tell you a, a story? I remember yeah, when I was really sick, we were talking offline uh, and I had mold poisoning, mold toxicity, but I didn't know yet. But I was starting to tune in to anything that might be modulating a good or a bad day, a sleep where I had more than three hours. Like, you know, you, you become very good at listening to your body, almost too good sometimes. That's that hypervigilance that can kick around for longer than it needs to. But every time we had curry, I slept better those nights. And I, I knew it, I felt it. And so I was very drawn to uh, Indian food during that time. Yeah. Nice. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, what's beautiful is Indian cooking incorporates all the super spices. And so it's funny, when I studied Ayurveda, I was like, wow, just being Indian, I eat this every day. I get turmeric, coriander, cumin, um, cinnamon in my garam masala, like all of our spices have so much benefit. And so although I focus so much on turmeric, I'm still also passionate about ginger and cilantro and ashwagandha and, and all the adaptogens. So there's a lot out there. Um, but going back to the turmeric spice, which you talked about, turmeric, the spice has great benefits. Again, adding black pepper or healthy fat is important. But what most people don't realize is it would take an entire mason jar of turmeric powder to give you what's typically in a two-week supply of the supplement form. And so that's why it's recommended a lot of times to move into the supplement form because the level of inflammation, the level of toxic burden and issues that the body is battling with is usually significant enough that you want to take a supplement. And the supplement will typically put around 500 milligrams of the curcuminoids in there to create a significant therapeutic dose in the body. Right. So I so, like to kind of share that there's three ways to take it. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. And can I just clarify further, just so we're super clear, if I were to grab my little shaky spice of turmeric, the dried powder, and put that inside like a veggie capsule, that is absolutely not the equivalent of taking a 500 milligram. So what do they do from the shaky, shaky spice level to the capsule level? I know you guys, you actually have a, a capsule yourself um, as a brand, but can you explain that process? Because I think that's, you know, you see the orange caps and you think, have they just put turmeric powder in there? Is that, is that yeah. what's going on? It's not regular turmeric powder. I was just in India and I was just meeting with the suppliers because I'm very obsessed with potency, quality, process, um, standardization, third-party testing. Like to me, how we receive our supplements is very, very, very important. Um, but it's interesting when you take turmeric, only 3% is the curcuminoids. They're going to distill it. They're going to have to process it. They have to extract just that bit. And in my formulation, I added regular turmeric powder back in for the synergistic effect because I still believe whole plant with extract has a profound value for absorption. Um, but yes, it's an extraction process and, and different people do it differently. Um, so a lot of times when we buy supplements, we just have no idea what we're yeah. taking. That's and, why and that's I thought I would ask because I think I a lot of people don't know. And yeah. so if we're buying, uh, you mentioned adding black pepper when we're cooking and when we're juicing. Do we need to do that with a curcuminoid uh, supplement? Any good curcumin supplement would add black pepper to it or be a liposomal curcumin, one of the two. And so when you ask the question of who shouldn't take turmeric, that's a great question. Um, anyone who is on a blood thinner should not take a curcumin supplement because turmeric is a vasodilator. It does thin the blood and increase that blood flow in the body. So anyone who's on a blood thinner, it's contraindicated. Pregnant women, um, anyone who's got gallbladder issues has to pay attention uh, kidney stones, people have to pay attention. Um, and then that's pretty much it. Um, that's usually the list that I say of people who should watch out when they're taking curcumin supplements, because you're taking such a potent distilled version of turmeric, mm. um, but that group can still use regular turmeric powder. Yeah. And for cooking and, and enjoying that way. And I'm not trying to be, uh, inflammatory by asking this, but I'm curious to know your opinion. And I love the inflammatory pun, by the way, just as a, <laughs> as a total uh, tangent there, 
Um, These contraindications, they kind of bug me. Like I remember when I had a family member going through cancer. Uh, She lives on a small island where my mum's from and they don't have a huge, they don't have functional medicine, that's for sure. And so my functional medicine doctor was gracious enough to take it for me to take her through auntie's case and just give some supplement guidelines. What we found was that the magnesium complex she was put on to support her during her chemo lowered her blood pressure to the point where she didn't need as high a dose of her blood pressure medication. And instead of reducing the dose of the blood pressure medication, the doctor said, it's the magnesium, it's contraindicated, we have to stop the magnesium. Now, you've mentioned the blood thinner contraindication, when do you think we're going to get to a point where, hey, there's something natural we can do to have a positive influence here where you might be able to reduce your dose of the blood thinner? Is it? Do you think we might be close to coming to the light of the tunnel or really, really not with the intensity of influence? No, I, I think that it's such a long road ahead. I, I am an optimist, so I do plan in this entire lifetime to change entire systems of medicine's approach to inflammation. I have that energy and I have that vision. Um, and I'm only 43. So I, I plan to do this work. You got for some another- time. Yeah, I got some time. I got half a half a century to do this work. Um, but it just takes time. And I do think what's good is the pandemic shifted mindsets a lot. Like finally, the world was like, wait a minute, those solutions are those and then there's these other solutions. So it really opened up minds of not only the people, but the practitioners and the MDs and the DOs. So my work is not only to educate the whole world on Ayurveda, which I enjoy, but educating each and every doctor I can. That's why I'm speaking at the medical conferences. Of course, functional medicine, holistic and integrative medicine totally gets it. And then all the other subspecialties who are saying, you have something itis, you are inflamed. I'm trying to reach them too. So it'll take time, but we will get there. Yeah, brilliant. And I think uh, for anyone listening who's frustrated by that, if your healthcare practitioner is not like if they just put a big wall up every time you try and go there, it might be time to audition for a new member of your team because I genuinely believe the gaslighting and the poo-pooing of very beneficial supplements has got to end. It really does. We must... Yeah, like you said, we must advocate for ourselves. Yeah, we that's are sovereign. It. We have to advocate because if we keep letting them push us along, we'll we'll never solve our real problems. Mm. Well, look at the the perimenopause explosion of information. It's like Gen X arrived here, and we went, uh, "Excuse me, what? We're supposed to just shut up about this? <laughs> Get on with exactly. it?" Exactly. I'm so. enjoying it. Are you not enjoying watching Love. this? Ex- explosion of awareness and content around perimenopause and menopause. Love it. I have had people for over a decade saying they needed a solution. So I've been developing teas and solutions for menopause because Ayurveda has them. We have Shatavati and we have holy basil. Like we have the herbs that have a cooling effect on menopause. Um, But yeah, I I think it's just an indication of how we're not going to be quiet anymore, which I like. Yeah, agree. So um, I wanted to ask you about Ayurveda in the context of the modern world. 
Uh, you mentioned, you know, your grandparents like mixing up all sorts of fantastic potions, but still being in the, the modern medicine paradigm. And then the modern world is just not what it was when Ayurveda uh, came to be in, what was it, 5000 BC? 5,000 years ago, yeah. 5,000 years ago. So that is a long time ago and we didn't have the EMFs and we didn't, you know, and I'm sure you come uh, into debates about that. Um, But something that we talked about off the record before hitting record was how Ayurveda is there when the crisis care has been taken, whether you go down a conventional or a functional approach for that uh, massive mold issue where you're going to need an environmental building biologist or a mold consultant to come in and help. And, you know, then the lifestyle piece has to be the kicker, right? And that is where Ayurveda comes in. So can you take us through someone who's listening to this because they're like, "Uh uh-uh, Ayurvedic doctor, I've always wanted to learn a little bit more, like, 101, what is it and how do you feel it holds the best place for us in the modern world? Such it's a great a big question. question. It's big. I, I love it. 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 Yeah. It's a great question. So Ayurveda is an entire system of health, healing, and medicine from India. It is over 5,000 years old. And what I love about it is it's teaching us a rhythm of life. It's teaching us how to live in rhythm with nature and in rhythm with our mind-body constitution, which is our dosha, and building our own custom blueprint for life. The problem with modern day life is it's so disruptive to our health, to our rhythm, to our whole being, really. The way it's built is not human-friendly, I find. And so if we can instead reverse engineer this and create an entire lifestyle and rhythm, then all of a sudden we're like in flow with mother earth, with nature, everything feels every everything feels easier, everything feels better. Um, so in Ayurveda, I teach the doshas, which is our individual mind-body constitution. And I have a dosha quiz on my website that anyone can take. Oh, fab. And- we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And then they'll mm-hmm. understand their dosha. Then we teach about herbology, the herbs and spices and elixirs and teas we can use every day to kind of support the body through waking up and igniting the digestive fire, through managing our digestive health and metabolism throughout the day to like really unwinding and then falling asleep in the evening and having better quality sleep. So we have different herbs and spices we play with to address that from a lifestyle perspective and also to treat different issues. Um, We teach a lot about the gut digestive fire as this agni, agni means fire, but this fire that's to be revered. And so Ayurveda taught about the gut microbiome and the gut health being the most important piece of our health and immune system above all and how it impacts mood and health. And so isn't it cool that modern day science now really proves the same thing that we always said, which is gut brain access, gut brain connection, gut immune connection, and all those pieces. Then under Ayurveda, we teach about detoxification. It's so important that we detox seasonally and annually and do these profound detoxes. So even then life had toxic burdens to it. And so even then they taught about this system called Panchakarma, which is the deep detox we teach everyone to do every single year and every single quarter at the intersection of seasons. Then Ayurveda teaches a big concept called circadian rhythm, which is now called circadian medicine. So many people in functional medicine are talking about it. This came from Ayurveda. 
It's the lesson of living in rhythm with nature, uh, honoring the nature's clock as the night clock, the day clock, our timing around our sleep, around when we eat, and how we tie that to our individual dosha, which is how we kind of customize what is best for us in our individual bodies. And then I teach a lot about grounding, flow, how to eat, when to eat, because food is such a big part of our health and our lives. Food is medicine. But a lot of us are not eating right for our dosha, not eating at the right time of day. You mentioned intermittent fasting. Sometimes we are pushing way against the boundaries of what's good for us. Um, oftentimes we're not even eating with consciousness. And so we're not absorbing the food or we're not even in rest and digest. So we're not going to absorb the benefits. So Ayurveda is really showing us this rhythm we can build. And my goal is to get everyone addicted to it. So then all of a sudden you feel so good that you want to practice these self-care rituals all day. You want to detox. You want to kind of fit them in in little slices. And then that, that feeling that you get is something that when you lose it, you'll come right back to it because you know. You know that mm. potentiality of how you can feel. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, when to eat and eating right for your dosha. Um, can you give us exam an example of one of the doshas, for example, and then what not eating right for that dosha would look like and then how it could present in terms of knowing, ooh, I'm actually not eating right for my type, which, I mean, you know, there have been Hollywood books written with titles like that these days that have seemingly no influence or connection to Ayurveda and yet couldn't have been written without Ayurveda. True. So true. So the Vata Dosha, people pronounce it Vata, but Vata Dosha is air and ether. It's dominated by those two elements. And so a Vata person is going to tend to be light and thin and wiry. They're going to tend to be a busy body. They're going to tend to run a million miles a minute. Um, they're going to tend to eat like a bird. So it's funny when you sit next to a vata, they're like, oh, I can just have tea. I can have green juice. I'll just have a celery. I'll have a cracker, a carrot. Like they literally eat like birds all day. And it's so funny because a pitta person, I'm a pitta, like I have to eat my three square meals or you don't want to know me. And, and so we all have such different tendencies. And so because the vata person is eating like a bird, their homework is actually to eat three square meals on a rhythm. And to really ground themselves and to eat healthy fat and to build the schedule for themselves. When they don't, they present as anxious, overwhelmed. They tend to be busybodies who never finish anything they start. So they tend to be flaky, which leads to dissatisfaction and frustration. And that level of anxiety can really be problematic. And so whenever I meet an anxious vata, I'm like, no worries. I got you. We're just going to start <laughs> eating two meals a day. And that alone is, it's extremely hard homework. It sounds easy to most of us, but it's counterintuitive to them because they've never had to do that. They can get away with just flitting around. And so it's so interesting to look at the different doshas. Bitha people, we have to eat our meals, but we have to manage. Um, we tend to be a lot of fire. So we have to keep our system cool. And I tell us to manage ourselves like a nuclear reactor. So each of us is kind of different, but Having the awareness can create so many shifts. Like I've seen vatas become the most productive powerhouse people once they shifted their diet and the timing of their meals. And so that's where that's where the leverage comes from. So I teach us to leverage our dosha to have more energy and more vitality for our dreams. Oh, I love that. And I, it just reminds me of 
uh, my best friend at school and sleeping over at her house. And I've always been like bigger boned, um, you know, a more solid constitution. I'm a pitta kapha. Whenever I do the, I'm kind of between those two. And um, I remember she would just snack all the time and offer me snacks. Yes. And I'd always be like, could we, can I just, can I have a bit more of this? Like, are we going to sit down? Right. We eat one meal with some yeah, like fat or so unctuousness, something mm-hmm. satisfying. Yeah. Mm, so funny. And, and so then the, like on the opposite side of the scale, the kapha person, what happens when they try to do the green juices and the teeny tiny meals or like, you know, so that would be, I'd say detrimental to that type of dosha. Correct. So you have vata, thin and wiry, you have pitta, medium body. They're more fire, more ambitious, more focused, but we tend to overburn, uh, burn out. We tend to have like meltdowns if we aren't eating properly and everything else. Then you have lastly, guffa. Guffa is of the earth, bigger bones, stronger, um, thicker, oilier hair, like happy, glowing skin. Guffa has all of its own benefits, much stronger constitution. And a guffa person tends to be one thing at a time, loyal, slow and steady. So the guffa person is going to have a slower metabolism. And so they're better supported by eating hot meals, cooked meals, less raw, cold foods, because their sign, their dosha is more earth and water. They have a tendency towards mucus, a tendency towards heaviness. And so they're supposed to eat more focused meals that are cooked, well digested, easily digestible to support them on their journey. Mm, Meat and veg in a soup. It's my perfect meal. It is like any kind of combination of that in water is like, oh, I feel deeply happy. Um, and I just don't think that's ever an accident. And I, it, it just drives me nuts that the world keeps trying to tell each other that they're doing the wrong thing uh, in, in the way they, they eat. And like fair enough if you've actually found that you need to be doing something differently to be your healthier self. But like fighting between all the different types of, oh my goodness. It's funny to watch. I watch it all. I'm like carnivore, vegan, keto, lion diet. Like, all right, guys, how about dosha diet? How about sattvic diet? How about intuitive diet? Your body knows what it needs. Mm. I I think in that, uh, it is that hyper externalization of looking out there for everything and and the answers and, and not having conversations with what's going on inside. And for me, Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, I think there's a reason that these uh, artful medicines uh, and ways of being uh, have stood the test of time because they transcend trend. Yes, correct. It just keeps kind of like, what are the overlaps? What works beyond all of this bickering? And let's, let's focus there. It's true. And I find sometimes people are doing things just for eyeballs. Like, why are we stirring the pot? Why can't we just all each find such peace and such love and such wholeness? Like if you all practice self-care at a profound level, what a different life experience we would all have. And then we don't need any of this friction. It's Mm. irrelevant. Yeah. Or another dietary protocol. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so you mentioned circadian rhythm, obviously critical to health. 
Uh, what are your favourite ways to recover or to hack it? You know, we've talked about modern life. There's blue light. There's shift work. There are, you know, there's the new parent who's up feeding like three times, four times a night. Um, so it's not always ideally possible to go to bed with the sunset and rise with the sunrise. Is there a way to support ourselves in the times in our lives, whether it's a work situation, travel, um, or being a new parent, uh, to feel the benefit of a circadian rhythm regardless? Can we hack it? You can hack it. I mean, there's certainly an ideal and Ayurveda would much rather you hold that ideal and live by that ideal. And it's interesting because in my daily life, I love to live by my rhythm. And so I've built it to be so perfect. I have the right teas at the right times. I have the ideal tea kettle at home and work. So no matter where I am, I'm running my rhythm just right, just about. Um, and then I have a lot more travel now because of the way I'm building my business and speaking more, I'm just traveling every single month. And so I've had to learn how to hack my circadian rhythm because otherwise I'm just so thrown off and I'm so frustrated by it. And so recently I went to India and I was like, I am not, not getting su like sucked into jet lag. I'm not going to throw my immune system off. And so I timed it just right. Like when I travel, I am carrying tea. I'm carrying my little honey, raw honey that comes in little packets. I'm carrying sleep gummies. I'm carrying sleep tea. I'm carrying all my immune supplements. I'm carrying my turmeric. Um, and I think that the same cues that you use in your daily life to consistently cue your body throughout the day because you build them into your daily life, you can carry those into your travel and use them as supports. I do think it's hard in modern day life to just expect the body and expect the mind to do everything on the rhythm without cues and supports. So I heavily lean on teas and meal times, sometimes sleep gummies, different vitamins, different supplements, different teas to like build the rhythm. And then when I'm out of town, I just follow the rhythm and I do the best I can, but I luckily didn't really have horrible jet lag there or when I came back because I was just leaning on, okay, let me put myself to sleep. Let me make sure I'm taking what I have to, to get that perfect sleep. And thus I recover faster. Mm. Yeah. I, I've definitely found that with travel as well. It is so key to just literally say, we are here now and this is what's happening. We are awake and we are barefoot in the grass and we are looking up at the sky. Don't sleep because you're tired, because you're not actually somewhere anymore where you sleep at this time. And it's hard the first day, but it really does kick you in to the new time zone much, much more successfully. You mentioned tea like a billion times there, Shivani. Tell us the secret. What is the tea you are traveling with? Oh my God, I'm obsessed with tea. And I think probably because I'm Indian, we're all obsessed with tea as Indians. Um, growing up, I never had masala chai with my family. I, I always thought, oh, chai, who needs that addiction? And then by the time I hit college, I was in school in Boston, I needed a hot drink and I no longer wanted it to be Starbucks hot chocolate because I knew that that had too much sugar. Um, so Good I decision. To, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I knew better, but I, I, I still loved that drink until like, couple years ago when I finally had to let it go because it's just too sugary now for my taste buds. 
Um, but I transitioned into white tea and green tea and I've held at green tea. So I'm obsessed with green jasmine tea. Um, I have two brands I drink. I drink Rishi jasmine tea, which is in a tea bag. So it's very easy to travel with and run around with. And then I developed my own jasmine tea that I love as well. So I, within my own supplement company, built a line of teas. And so I drink my deep sleep tea at night and, and I just play with teas all day. And if I need a non-caffeinated tea on the road, I carry peppermint tea from like Yogi tea or traditional medicinals, any brand that's good. Um, I carry their organic peppermint tea with me because if I'm traveling, if I ever get stomach upset, like digestive discomfort from eating foods on the road, peppermint tea will usually resolve it really fast. So my rhythm is jasmine tea, uh, 7 a.m., right around 10 a.m. I have my second cup. I have a 3.30 high tea every day. In the afternoon, if I'm home, I'll switch into adaptogenic teas to really like relax and unwind from the day. And then I always have a cup of deep sleep tea or any sleepy tea if I'm on the road right before bedtime. Nice tea regime. That is taking the tea regime up a notch there. Very nice. That's my rhythm. And then my brain <laughs> knows, all right, she's she's getting ready for bed. Okay, it's time to wake up and focus. Like my body is timed to that tea rhythm. Yeah, and I think there's just something to be said for how much our nervous systems are printing of like, you know, okay, okay, so this is what happens then. Okay, so we're not in a dangerous situation because she's drinking that, which means we're all good and we can start to unwind. I genuinely believe we are at the surface of understanding just how much rhythm matters. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think probably 50 or 100 years from now, people look back at us and say, how did we survive without like AI telling us our rhythm? But I just built it with tea and I, I find that to be good enough. But imagine we, when we learn how to put our kids to bed, have a rhythm and a routine to train the child that their bedtime is coming. But we as adults are like, I'm working, I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning the kitchen, I'm settling. We're doing 500 things. And then we magically expect ourselves to fall asleep after being on our phones. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is so, ridiculous. Yeah, so yeah, it really is. So that self-care evening routine to me, I make that last cup of tea and then there's no more work. There's no more laptop. Like it's a hard line called, okay, bedtime, bedtime rituals. Mm. And do yeah. you read? I don't usually read. I'm pretty bad. I usually am like with my kids. We're hanging out and talking. Actually, no, I actually do read for the last five, 10 minutes before bed. I usually need a little bit of something so quiet, usually fiction, and then I can fall asleep. Because otherwise, my mind is like always in, in so many places. So I have get rid of my phone at least 15, 20, 30 minutes before bed, just so I can sleep. If I dare open my laptop after about eight o'clock, it will disrupt my sleep. So I don't touch my laptop after a certain point. Yeah. I cannot agree with you more. I have a aura ring, which tells me exactly how uh, my HRV was, how low my heart rate got to, and how soon after I went to sleep, the heart rate dropped. If I have had, uh, especially at, in perimenopause, if I've had a glass of wine or any kind of alcohol at all, uh, which isn't often, but when I do, oh my gosh, this thing lets me know about it. And I feel so awful the next day. And it's the same with late night work. Um, 
I can get away with it sometimes if I wear my really, you know, the really orange blue blockers. Um, but just the act of working is so, you're so on, never mind the blue light, right? True. And the thing is with our phones being smartphones, like if I'm on my phone, I'm getting emails and texts and people are like, oh, can I schedule with you? Can I, the, it, it's so activating to the mind that I, I do have to transition to sleeping that last, I mean, reading that last bit and just agreeing that I'm not going to check anything else again so that my mind can transition because otherwise it's tough and you're right one glass of wine murder to my sleep it's like the worst so now i've and and we know a lot of science is saying now that any alcohol is bad for you so i've moved alcohol down to like one or two glasses every two weeks and it's it's helping me get much better sleep that's for sure yeah it it, it, you got you don't knock it till you try it yeah yeah (laughs) um so I'm going to ask about uh, detoxification. You mentioned panchakarma and, uh, and and that that's a seasonal detoxification process. And I often wonder whether the fact that we don't have in modern medicine seasonal detoxification is poo-pooed. It's like, well, that's what your liver's for. You know, who hasn't been slammed with that uh, throwaway comment in in some kind of doctor's office? Not poo-pooing all doctors. I'm just saying we are a far way off all doctors understanding that in especially the modern world, this needs to be happening uh, as as an adjunct to anything else we're doing on a much more... um, frequent level. So can you take us through what a, a, a cleanse looks like, a, a seasonal detoxification process looks like in Ayurveda? Sure. So it can look like a lot of different things. So if you go to India, like I've gone to India to like a place called Jindal Naturopathy Institute in Bangalore and stayed there for 21 days. It's a really intense, awesome place. Um, I did it pre-children because I wanted to prepare for being the healthiest I could be for pregnancy. Um, it's intense. I, a, a full detox is all the Ayurvedic self-care rituals and more. Um, and so our self-care rituals include things like tongue scraping, oil pulling, gel nethi, which is nethi pot running, you know, water or saline water through the nostrils to clear that area out, the nasal passages. Um There's also yoga, meditation, all the happy, nice things, but there's also enemas, colonics, like they're going to try to get everything out through every orifice that ever existed in your body and the ears and the nose and uh, you'll clean everything out. And so it's profoundly effective. um, And we would love everyone to do that every year forever. But I try to be more practical because I am a mom of young children. I am living this modern day life, busy with my business and my spouse is working and all the things. So in our daily lives, I teach Ayurvedic detox as at the intersection of seasons, like where spring meets summer, summer meets fall. If you can give up a week of time to detox, it can be as easy as give up one to three inflammatory foods. So I created something called the seven-day inflammation detox, which was just a gentle detox to get the system to at least be less inflamed. And if it's less inflamed, it's going to function better. Um, Or when people sign up for my bigger program, we do a proper 21, 28-day detox in there. And that's, you can kind of choose your level. I say it's like level one, which is just incorporate more self-care, like just focusing on oneself. And doing tongue scraping, oil pulling, Epsom salt baths, dry brushing, abhyang massage, 
the self-care piece of the Ayurvedic detox, I find, is at least your way to fill your cup and bring yourself back to wholeness before we even think about the idea of stripping away. Some people need that level first. And I've, I've done that with a lot of women. Then part two is, okay, you're feeling pretty good, but you need a gentle detox. Let's just take away gluten or let's just take away dairy. That alone is quite a commitment. So out of the top five inflammatory foods, I'll cut gluten, dairy, sugar, red meat, or alcohol, or some combination thereof. And that can create a positive change in the body while also adding in the self-care rituals, which are detoxing. And then I ask them to add in some radical self-care, which is like infrared sauna, more Epsom salt baths. You can do colonics, things like that. And then level three is the whole enchilada which means you do everything, everything I can possibly think of. And we have great detox centers here in South Florida where I can send people to if they're open to things like the colonics, infrared, um, Beamer, vibroacoustic healing beds. There's a lot of biohacking tools that can mimic what an Ayurvedic detox center would have done to you. And then you can get that same result, but in your local area in a way mm. that's more attainable. You love that. And Men versus women, are there, I shouldn't say versus, I mean compared to in the eyes of Ayurveda and detoxification, would that look different if you were a man or a woman? I find with men, I mean, I've been studying Mindy Pels's work and she shares how men don't have to worry about their cycle like we do. So they can just do the same thing every day. They can intermittent fast the same way their entire month makes me kind of jealous. I wish I could just do the same thing every day. Uh, we have to pay attention to our cycles and be sympathetic to it and all that stuff and, and deal with our own mega transitions like perimenopause and menopause. Um, but yeah, I, I think that with men, you can kind of usually based on their dosha, just go at it and, and they might not need as much self-care, self-nourishment. That might be an overgeneralization, but I, I believe that could be true. And then on the female side, it's like, we have to have that awareness. Where's the cycle? How is she doing? Like a little bit more understanding. Um, you can't just go as harshly because you have to be aware. Yeah, of course. And I wanted to ask lastly about superfoods that we call them these days, but you've known them to be adaptogenic herbs and spices for a long time. Uh, and the use of in daily life and are there different ones that work better for different people, different situations? Uh, it's a pretty fascinating world to dive into and people have mixed results, which makes me think, well, it's just not, you know, oh, ashwagandha is great for this for everybody, is it? Yeah. No, everyone is so bio-individual. Everyone is so different. Our doshas are different. Our, where we come from on earth is different. So how our body is going to receive things is different based on each person. Um, I do find that the superfood craze is so tilted towards like salmon and spinach and goji berries and maca and cacao chips and all these things. And I'm like, okay, that's great. We've been doing that for quite a while, guys. But Ayurveda gave you super spices 5,000 years ago, like between turmeric and ginger and ashwagandha and cilantro and these things like shatavari, tulsi, holy basil, fenugreek, fennel, like these spices are such powerhouse super spices. And they give you the same benefits as superfoods. So with superfoods, you typically want this anti-inflammatory benefit. You want this antioxidant benefit. 
the spices will give you that as well. So like open up your palate and open up your mind to having the spices in your cabinet instead of just eating the plain old boring foods you're eating right now. And so that's where I love to share about the super spices. I think they can create such profound shifts in the body. They can make your food taste different and more varied. So as we're asking ourselves to be much healthier and leaner and cleaner in our eating, the best way to get there is to add the spices back in and create more of that flavor. And, and Indian food is the perfect food for it, but Mexican food uses more flavor. Asian food, the East Asian cuisines use more of those different spices and flavors. Um, but each spice has so many multidimensional benefits and is so well received by the body. Um, Sometimes we use whole spice. Sometimes we use crushed spice. Sometimes we cook with the spices. But really entering that world and playing with it can create a profound shift in our health and in our bodies. A hundred percent. And I don't doubt that you could you could plot a correlation, not causation, correlation line between the dumbing down of food uh, to like that basic sad standard Australian slash American slash Anglo diet um, and disease. And it's the cleanest, most basic, uh, one dimensional food. If you think like, think about the awful kids menus at hotels and how it's the pizza, the chicken nuggets, the fries, the spaghetti bolognese, and that's it. That's, that's eating. That's what eating is if you're a kid, apparently. And, you know, we are not setting ourselves up to, um, be lovers of all the different flavors. And yet, you know, I think it's actually an old Ayurvedic phrase around, you know, if you're looking to heal, eat, make sure you're eating like 90 something plants or so. it's some, there's some sort of phrase and it's about like nurturing that spice garden, nurturing the herb garden, using that in your cooking. Uh, that cannot be bad for you. In fact, we now know it's extremely good for you. True. And, and there's not enough exposure around mm. the spices and how they work. Like I teach Indian cooking online sometimes because I'm like, we just, no one taught this. E even I did not learn it till I was getting married. Then I got this crash course called She Should Learn How to Cook because we're about to, <laughs> she's about to be married. But now I'm, I look back and I'm like, there's so much science. Cumin seeds are going to help you pre-digest anything hard to digest. So anytime I'm heating leftovers in my house, I heat oil with cumin first just to support the digestion of that food. And so what if we could really learn to play with spices in this new way that supported everyone's digestion, everyone's health, and then we'd have a whole different outcome in our families. We would. Uh, and I'll ask you about two, uh, holy basil, tulsi. And ashwagandha, I'm going to ask you about those two. Sure. Like, what is the scope? How can we implement it in plant form versus just buying capsules uh, sort of to broaden our appreciation for how we can bring them into our lives and why we might want to? So Thulsi, you can grow at home. It's easy. Every Indian household is growing Thulsi by themselves because we use Thulsi in our cooking. Um Dulce holy basil is adaptogenic for the body. It has a cooling effect on the body. So I used it in a tea related to menopause because it can help cool down hot flashes, night sweats. It helps with mood stabilization because it's an adaptogen. Um, anytime you have an adaptogen in the body, if the body is stressed and overwhelmed, it'll calm down a few notches. And if it's having the blues or depressed, it'll lift you up a few notches. It's adaptogenic. The, it just functions like a thermostat. Where it's needed, it will go. 
And so I think of Tulsi in that way. You can make a tea out of Tulsi. You can use it um, in cooking. Um, Tulsi is like, it's one of those holy plants in India. So we just love it across the spectrum. And then ashwagandha is considered like the horse's mane. It's like a strength giver to the body. It helps with cognitive function, neurodegenerative issues. Ashwagandha will help with that as well. It helps when people are stressed. So a lot of times you'll see it in in uh, different formulations related to anxiety and stress because it'll calm you down a few notches. For some people, it helps them sleep better. So a lot of people do take it for sleep as well. Um, ashwagandha is more of like a, a tree branch, tree bark, tree root looking thing. Uh, so I have no idea. I guess people powder it and use it like a powder. So you can use it in milk. You can use it in a nut milk. There's a lot of Ayurvedic spices that I don't like the taste of. So I eat them all in capsule form because I just want it in the veggie cap. And I want that taste handled that way. Um, but yes, each of us kind of has to figure out our way with that. But I have seen people sell ashwagandha in a powder form that you can use in different things. But it's very strengthening to the body. Like it gives you this word we have called like takat or strength. Oh, love that. Yeah. And as we finish... I want to ask you, someone curious to see the benefits of moving into knowing more about Ayurveda. Uh, obviously, you have your quiz. I think that's a, a great thing to do. But what is a practice that we could all bring into our lives this week? Just a little try this and see how you feel at the end of next week if I we were to do it. I have a super favourite. Mm -hmm. My favourite Ayurvedic self-care ritual outside of turmeric, of course, because I think turmeric's the best thing ever, is tongue scraping. So I don't know if you have a copper tongue scraper. I sure do. Awesome. So in Ayurveda, we teach that the benefits of taking a copper tongue scraper and using it in the morning is you'll, you'll gently scrape the tongue seven to 14 times. What it's going to do is it's going to remove the white film on your tongue that's an indication of the toxic burden in your body. It's going to gently massage all the organs of the body because just like in reflexology, all the organs are reflected on the bottom of the feet in the same way in Ayurveda, those organs are all reflected on the tongue. And so you're gently massaging all those organs. You're igniting the digestive fire first thing in the morning, and you're clearing that toxic burden out of the body. And that's just one of the powerful Ayurvedic self-care rituals that we teach. Um, I teach all of them and they're in a guide on my website along with a cookbook and other things, but to tongue scrape every day is like this little habit stack. It's easy to add because it's on top of brushing your teeth. It's pretty much free because my tongue scraper I've had for 20 years using the same one and it's fine. It's metal, um, but it'll detox you every day. So it's like your way of, of supporting that annual or quarterly detox where there'll be a lot less to do because you did it in like 10 seconds on a daily basis. Love that. So the point of it, if you think about it in the big picture is it's like a little mini detox every single morning without actually having to do a detox. Exactly. And I think in modern life, we're always like, okay, I've got to, I've got to make time for this, this protocol and I've got to add that in. And, but like, I love that you've pointed that one out because it genuinely is like so much bang for your buck. Yeah, it is. And also it's like the first cue to the mind I want today. Like I already did one good thing for me. I wonder how many more good things I could do for myself with self-love. Because like you just mentioned, 
the list of things to do for our wellness and well-being can be daunting. Like even I myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, my two big supplement trays and I haven't done them yet today, right? Like the list is endless. But if we start our day winning, then the whole rest of the day is a win anyway. Thank you so much for joining me. That is a beautiful place to end. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you loved today's show as much as I loved bringing it to you. I want to remind you that if you are someone who craves a low-tox community that is judgment-free, full of empowerment, has health professionals and building health professionals that can support you, as well as me in there answering questions multiple times a week, I want to invite you to join the Low-Tox Club. For the price of less than a cup of coffee a month, you have an annual membership for $49 Australian, so it's about $30 US or Euro that allows you to have a member masterclass every single month with a health professional or global expert from the podcast where we have them to ourselves for an hour to ask questions and deep dive further. You have the beautiful supportive chat group. You have Q&As with me, me answering questions. We read books and talk about them and a whole bunch more. You can head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and join the club is the very first option on that list. Of course, we have over 10 evergreen courses that you can jump into anytime, whether it's navigating everyday low-tox swaps with our Go Low-Tox signature course, whether you have kids and you're wanting to know how to best support them with our Low-Tox Kids course, whether you're planning a family and looking at a healthy low-tox preconception journey, reducing inflammation, especially the chronic kind with our Inflammation Ninja course, many, many other courses. You can again head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the courses tab and you'll see all of the options, which includes a business course, my low tox method program. A lot of people don't know, but uh, I was doing a lot before starting Low Tox Life in 2009. And I was a business consultant across hospitality, health, retail, and cosmetics. I have been in business consulting for a very long time. So I absolutely adore helping people move into the low-tox space or develop their low-tox businesses. So that's a way I can support you. And then, of course, there's our wonderful social media communities at Low-Tox Life on Instagram and, of course, the website with over 250 gluten-free recipes, blogs, downloadable PDFs to help you navigate wanting to get rid of synthetic fragrances in your school or office. I could go on. So head to lowtoxlife.com, see what takes your interest or fancy. And thank you so much for being a part of our podcast community. I love, love, love reading your reviews. I appreciate every follow and subscribe. And I want to just remind you to finish off that if there's anything you heard that you found interesting from a medical or scientific perspective, it is intended as education only. Please always chat to a health professional who knows you and your situation best. I'll See you next week. Bye.